and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Michelle Hogan, I am ecstatic to have you on this podcast. I've known you for years. I know you've got an interesting story and I want to hear all about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's terrific to be here and thanks for asking me. (laughs) You're just so measured. Okay, so the first thing we should do is tell everybody what it is that you do now. So can you tell everyone Mm. what you do now? Yeah, it's the hardest question in the world for me to answer, which is kind of weird given what I do. I am a brand counsel. What do you mean by that? Independent brand counsel. And what I mean by that is I advise organizations, people, individuals, small, big, um, on the risk that they pose when they make to their purpose and values, when they make promises they can't keep or when they make bad promises or the wrong promises. So when I look at brand, it's something that is a result of things that an organization does. It's not itself a thing that an individual or a separate thing. So this sense of what are the things that we're doing every day over and over, both big and small, that accumulate and sort of collect over time. Um, And when you look at those things, what are the promises we're making as part of those things? Um, and are we keeping those promises? And if we are, my internet just dropped out. So, so yeah, I'll just, um, I'll just rewind. And so I'm an independent brand counsel and what that means is, what's that? What's that? (laughs) Yeah. So what that means is that I advise organizations of all different sizes, people, individuals as well on the risk to their purpose and values of making the wrong promises. And, and what I mean by the wrong promises is, Every organization in the way it does stuff, it goes about its day-to-day. That's always an accumulation of promises. It's things that you say to other people you will do, both inside and outside. And so when you're making promises you can't keep, okay, the wrong promises, the result of that is that people basically, they don't want to continue to work with you. They don't want to continue to buy from you. They don't want to stick around. They stop trusting right? your brand they because stop, you're not they delivering stop having, what you say you'll do. You know, they stop, yeah, exactly. They stop having confidence in you. And so the result of that is your brand. Right. The result of that. It's not, it's not, I don't have confidence in the brand. It's I don't have confidence in you. And as a result of that, I think about you a certain way as something that's either getting better or getting worse. And that impact, that sort of infects and impacts my, whether I will have the confidence to continue to do stuff with you or not. Um, And and so the, the sum total of all of that is what I call brand, as opposed to this thing, this arbitrary thing, that's this, Ill-defined a logo amorphous. or, a, or yeah. a whatever. Uh, yeah. oh, whether it's whether you think of it as stuff or whether you think about it as perception or whether you, like all these things used to describe brand are either you know too small and narrow or too amorphous. And so I say, you know, let's take all of that out of it. Yeah, and just look at what is the result. I love right? it. What is the uh, result? Okay, it's, it's just an easier way to think about it and takes all the takes all the emotional rubbish out of it. So what is the name of your business or do you just work under your name? I just work as me. So why did you set yourself up as a brand counsel? What happened or was there something that happened or was it an attrition yeah. over many years? Can you tell me oh, a bit yeah, about well, Yeah, go on. It's, it's a long and winding road. Oh, great. Right? I so, love a long and winding road. Um, it's a long and winding road. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a designer by training. Mm-hmm. So by uh, a year, and for many years, that's what I did. Yeah. I, I worked with organizations as a design. I yes, a, well, I'm going to grill you. a design you on, agency. So I'm going to grill you on all of that. I'm right? just wondering mm. about whether there was a moment that mm. came out of that. Sorry, go on. And then I'm going to take you right the way back to school time. So don't give <laughs> yeah, away oh too no, many secrets yeah, yet. The, <laughs> yeah, the, the, where, the intersection point of the past and the future. <laughs> yes, is, go on then. There's, there's some stories there, right? But, but what was the turning point of me becoming sort of officially be a brand counsel. And even though I've only called myself that for a few years now, mm-hmm. um, it took me a while to land on that as a good description of what I did. 
and and a way to open a conversation with people that didn't go immediately down the wrong path. Right. And the wrong path being, oh, so you do marketing? No, I don't. Right. Um, so the but the 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 point that took me in this direction and and for years, like I call myself an advisor, I call myself like there's different things that I used for a while was this sense that we were asking the wrong questions. So the work that I was doing, I was like, these aren't the right questions that that are going to help the organization achieve what they say they want to do. It's not it's not solving it's not actually solving the problem. And I'm actually interested in solving the problem, not just so what sort doing of questions something do you that's mean? cosmetic. So it's really the difference between asking asking questions of so you know of what you're going to do. Yep. Right. So I'm uh, we when you work in when I was working in the design sort of the design agency world, there were questions of what or of like we want an X. Yep. It was very tactical. And even when it was painted as strategic, it was still really tactical. Right. Um, it was still right. The outcome of we want a thing in our hands or that we can look at or give to people. Right. Yep. And, and that just keeps cycling through every few years. Like we need that again. We need that. And it's like, that's the wrong, qu- we're asking the wrong question. So I started asking different questions and it's not that they weren't, what questions or how questions, but they were a f- different tone of what and how. So instead of asking what do you, you know, what do you want, we started asking things like, so, so how are you going to use that? What result do you want from that? What problem is this solving for you? Right. Right? What is the problem you're solving? What is the problem you want to solve? What do you think the problem is? Um, and it wasn't even a why do you want to do this because that's not a great question either. Yeah. Um, but what do you, where do you want to get with this? What is the problem you're trying to solve? And Much that better. actually opened, <laughs> yeah, it opened a completely different conversation about, you know, about what was actually needed and the sort of things, the sort of advice that we could give or that, um, and that I could give yep. based on the answers to those questions was was better advice. It was actually more rounded. It was more useful. And a lot of the times, you know, it was inconvenient because it (laughs) meant that what they thought they needed to do wasn't what they needed to do and they didn't actually need us. I think one of the things I love most about you is the fact that you challenge things all the time. And that is exactly (laughs) what I would think almost any business owner would want is mm. is saying, can you come in? We think we need a new logo and to have someone mm. go, well, why? Because what are you trying to achieve or yeah. what are you trying to say yeah. or what promises what, are you trying yeah. to, what's, to what's give? The problem you, what problem are you trying to solve? You know, the logo is a great example because anytime you use the word brand, right, it's a lot of the like lot, people. Yeah. Even I, I literally will spend 30 minutes or you know, whatever version of time doing a talk about what brand is. Yeah. And in my work, like the way I approach brand and the way I see it and how it's a result and how it's accumulation of all these things and how, you know, it's a, you know, it's, it's a store of value of everything that you do. I and mean, the people, of that, yeah. and people do talk about a and, brand being all the touch points. So, uh, yeah, but, but, but that's yeah, but it's still more not than quite that, right. right. Yeah, that's still not right. Yeah, well, it's still not right in my world. There's different. Yes, yeah. You know, no, I'm, I want to I'm know what about your world. I'm a cubist <laughs> to lots of people's impressionists, right? Okay. So, um, <laughs> there's, there's different. There's there's different schools of thought on this, and that's fine. But was there? And a, was, my go on. Mine no, go isn't, on. no, I was just going to say, mine's not necessarily the right. Is it's not that mine's right and mine's wrong. It's it, it's, it's different. It's more. It's just different, and it. And if it's something that you're interested in building out, you know, if you're just talking about brand as being even the more expanded view of touch points, right, um, of or even uh, my personal unfavourite word of essence. Right. <laughs> For anyone that isn't here, I can't oh. see you. You did just do a physical shiver. <laughs> it literally sends a shiver down. And people are like, what do you mean by that? Right. And so, but if you, if you take it down, you look like actions and decisions, tangible, right? Yep. So what are you doing? How are you doing it? Yes, the motivation matters, right? The, yep. That sense of what's what's important to you matters and yep. how that becomes part of it. But those things aren't limited to a particular part of the business. How you engage and execute your finance 
side of your business is as relevant to your brand resolve as how you execute the technology part of your business, as how you do the manufacturing or the service delivery or the, you know, or the, or the, or the, there's no, there's no part of your business that doesn't have a tangible result. And, and that result can either accumulate. In other words, it can, it can make something bigger, stronger, the, the, the store of value grows. Yeah. Right. Or if you're, in doing those things, creating contradictions and breaking promises, you will deplete the store of value. Right. That makes that sense. Is, that makes right? sense. I'm and gonna so, have to get you to give me an example before oh, the end sure. of this yeah, to, we, we to can, just kind of bring it to all the, together, I think. Yeah, so that, back, back, back to what you were saying about logos. Yeah. Sorry. No, but, that's good. Uh, yeah, I, I just um, sorry to jump because I didn't answer that, didn't finish that thought, right? So I'll give a talk about brand for however long, and then literally people will come up to me afterwards and say, yeah, we're working on our brand. And and usually my response is, oh, that's great. So what are you doing? What exactly are you doing? And they're like, oh, we're redoing our logo. I just spent 15 minutes telling you it wasn't that, (laughs) but okay. Um, Clearly I'm not a good communicator. That's good to know. But the, the, and what I say is that's great. Yes, terrific. Lovely that you're working on your logo. What are you what what problem are you solving by reworking your logo? It's like, oh look, yeah, there's we just always it an needed excuse. a refresh. <laughs> yeah, we needed it needed an update. It was looking a bit tired and a bit, you know, whatever. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, that's great. But what then? Like what do you what problem are you actually trying to solve? The fact that your logo looks a bit tired isn't a problem. Yeah. Like what is it? Yeah, is there are a you disconnect? not getting customers? That's are right. You, is there a like, dis- are people are people like ditching you because the guy down the road has a better logo? Like what problem? Which is absurd. Yeah, because like, it course. never happens. No, like nobody it, people. Nobody I, except I, the I, owner of a business is that invested in their logo. Nobody. Yeah, nobody cares. <laughs> no, really, nobody. Nobody really, really, nobody cares. Like, And if they tell you they do, they're probably like, there are some cases where they might care a bit, right? If Apple were to decide to change their logo, there'd probably be, you know, Uh, riots in the streets. That's not about the logo. And in some way, no, and in some ways it reminds me of what I talk about in PR, which is, you know, and I always say to people, and I preface it because I'm very blunt Mm. with people, and I kind of go, no disrespect intended, but nobody cares about your business. Absolutely nobody is interested that you've launched this or done that. The only thing they're interested in is themselves and how it will affect yeah. them. So that's what a business or, or a company, I yeah. guess, has to exactly. get across is this is what we're going to do for you. This why, is a- why do I care about you? Yeah. Why should I care? Like I've got my own, I've got my own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't need, I've got plenty I can care about. I don't need to care about you. Uh, your job is to give me a reason to. Now was there a, and- yeah. So was there a brand that you worked with or something that happened that kind of gave you that light bulb moment? Like something that you, somebody you were working with where you just thought the disconnect is so strong, I just have to do something about this? Um, it wasn't so much someone I was working with where there was a disconnect. It was someone that I was working with that actually um, shone a light on how oh. important this sense of think uh, a more expansive way of thinking about it is right, um, and that was uh, when I was back in. Um, I was living in Colorado and working in Colorado at the time, right. and we were we ended up doing some work with Jim Collins, who's the author of Good to Great, right, um, the management book and famous management thinker, etc. and and working with Jim was um, was really quite revelatory in in how deliberate and conscious and rigorous he was in weaving what he, what was important to him through the way he did things. Right. Um, and even though the work we were doing was just in a particular area um, and for a particular thing we were, um, it, we, we approach, because of that, we approach the project and we approach the work in a whole different way. Right. And that really was a turning point in terms of thinking about this. I mean, some pennies had already started to drop, right? There were some other, there were some other things that I'd, I'd been reading and some other conversations I'd been having in general. It wasn't just a sort of like, oh, this person inspired yeah, me. Right. It was a, right. It was more of a confluence of, of a whole range of things all coming together and me going, ah, okay, now I get it, right? And there's actually a, where, there's a quote, there's a quote on my website which, 
um, really is the essence. Guess, the nice, essence. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, essence, I just want to see you shiver again. <laughs> the oh, essence okay. of what you mean, <laughs> uh-huh. which, which encapsulates the, this this idea yeah. of what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, and it's by an it's by an author called, uh, a woman her name a female author her name's Margaret Wheatley. Yeah, um, and Margaret's a for a lot of us is almost like a living saint. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But her her quote is, if people are free to make their own decisions guided by a clear organisational identity for them to reference, the whole system develops greater coherence and strength. Perfect. I think absolutely. I can see why it's on the front page of your website. And and so this gets back to, so what's our identity? Yeah. What what sits at the core of what motivates us, of what we care about, of what's important to us, this sense of what do we want people to see when they see us? And And, and, and how do we do that? And often when you do do that, for any entrepreneurs Mm. out there, we all Mm. know that sweet spot Mm. where you are actually Mm. doing something that you know is right, you know is needed, it it absolutely Mm -hmm. resonates with you and it's just so easy compared Mm. to something that can be such a hard slog. But, okay, (laughs) now let let me take you back though um, Mm -hmm. and take me on the windy road that has led you to today. (laughs) So can you start with your entrepreneurial journey? Tell me what happened from when you left school or unless it started earlier. Some people it starts earlier. Well, it, it, actually it did start earlier. Okay, um, go for it. Uh, there's, there's a few factors in this. So when I was 14, yeah. mum and dad were away. From, they'd gone to Melbourne. I lived in country, Victoria, mm-hmm. yeah. in a little town called Portland. I've been it's there. Down southwest Victoria and the coast. It's a beautiful little town. It's right on the border, um, isn't it? Uh, not quite. It's about 45 minutes from oh, okay. the South but Australian Melbourne, border. South Australian half border. an hour. Yeah, yeah, Melbourne's the South Australian border, it's close to uh, – it's close – it's much closer to it's, – it's nearly exact it's, – it's a little bit under halfway between Adelaide and Melbourne. Okay. Great. But anyway, it's a lovely little seaside town, fishing town, port, big port. Um, but So I grew up down there and, and when I was 14, mum and dad were away for a weekend and they came to Melbourne and they came back and they bought me back a book. Um, which was a poster book by a graphic designer called Milton Glaser. Mm-hmm. So Milton Glaser is really famous. He died actually just earlier this year, but uh, oh. his um, he was quite old. Um, his most famous thing, I guess, is the I Love New York Oh, that, yes, yes, yes. Okay. So he was a graphic so was really designer. Famous. He was a graphic designer. Yeah. Okay. But he was, he was more than – he was much more he's, – he's actually – he's – a lot of his stuff is really philosophical. He's very interesting to listen to and read. So there's some great um, interviews out there with him that I'd recommend for right. people to go check out because he's, he's got some very interesting stuff to say about, about creativity and about um, broadly, not just in terms of his work okay. and just how to think, how to, how to stay curious and open to stuff. But anyway, they bought me, I'd, I'd always been sort of a quote-unquote arty kid. Yep. So um, I, I was relatively good by general measures and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't something I'd ever really considered as a, uh, as a career. I think at the time I was thinking about being a maths teacher. I mean, what did your parents um, do? Uh, my mum was a kindergarten teacher. Okay. And my dad was a used car salesman. Okay. So, yes, graphic design and creativity so, probably wasn't high on their list um, in oh, terms no, they of were totally. Modeling. Yeah, no, not so much role modeling, but they were certainly like nobody ever said don't do that. Oh yeah, um, no good. The 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 second pillar of the entrepreneurial thing actually comes from dad, but I'll get to that in a sec. Okay. But the, um, my so I got this book, uh, which was a fantastic. You can still buy it; it's fantastic. It's this big poster book, and I remember looking at it, going, "Wow!" Like I read what he did. There was a little blurb about him. I was like, "Wow, you can do that and get paid for it." <laughs> <laughs> what a cool idea! Yeah. And so that that was sort of the germ of the beginning of that idea that maybe I could do, maybe that's something I could do. Maybe I could be a designer. Um, wasn't something really career people down in Portland knew much about, or the high school teachers knew much about. So there was a bit of a sort of interesting place to get there. Yeah. But um, but yeah, from that point on, it was really yeah. I think that's what I want to do, and that was sort of the first kind of turn, if you like. Right. Um, yeah. And and the other piece of that was from time I was I don't know, I can't remember how old I was when Dad started his 
left work. He used to work for Ford right, and sell cars for Ford. And he went off and started his own car yard, right. um, started his own used car yard. And, and so that was, you know, he was from then on, he was self-employed. Like he had, he had his own business. He was quite unquote, an entrepreneur by yep. you know, loose Some definition standards. of the term, <laughs> yes. loose, defi- loose definition. Yeah, he had yeah. his own business, right? I don't think that's necessarily an entrepreneur, but he was very, he was entrepreneurial in how he thought about, um, in, in how he thought about his life right. in general. And so that really influenced me. Um, but having his own business, seeing what that was like, seeing the autonomy of that was something that was always really appealing to me. And then he, um, and, you know, spending a bit of time helping out here and there, have washed more than my fair share of cars, <laughs> um, yeah. school holidays. And, and so as I got closer to the end of school, um, in this idea that, you know, I wanted to do study graphic design. That was sort of where it ended up. Um, today, if I was to go back and make the choice, it might be interior design. I think it's. Okay. Yes. I love a bit of interior design myself. But that wasn't, that wasn't so much in the mix back then, but the graphic design because of the thing made sense. So, um, so yeah, I merrily applied to what was then sort of a fairly, sort of limited number of schools that you could do to think, wasn't it mainly to study. Was it mainly, was it no, Swinburne that you ended up? No, there was more than that. So there was, so there was, uh, there were probably, a, I can't remember exactly, but I think I, there was like six okay. yep. main courses that you could yep. go to. So there was Caulfield, Swinburne. Um, RMIT must have had one. No. RMIT didn't have one then, I don't think. Um, Philip Institute of Technology, which is now part of RMIT, uh, got bought, got amalgamated years later. Okay. Um, so there was – so anyway, I went I, – I applied to all of those yep. and um, put my portfolio together because to get into design school is a little bit different than getting into – regular, uh, like getting into law or something like that, <laughs> yeah. you you actually have to show up with a portfolio and you go through interviews. You yeah. get interviewed by the lecturers and by, in some cases, students as well, senior students as well. Yep. So we went through all of that and, and the only guys who offered me a place was Philip. Okay. Um, and part of the reason for that was a lot of kids back then did what was not a, not a HSC type thing, but they did like a bridging um, I can't even remember what it was called, but it was a couple of, a, a last couple of years of high school instead of going to doing the, you know, your HSC start, mm-hmm. what was HSC then VCE now you did, you did a, a like a really intensive um, sort of bridging couple of years in a particular area. So a lot of these kids came into graphic design with really polished portfolios and skills right? that, that I had none of cause I'd done fine art. Yeah. So that okay. was my fine art. And so I was talking to one of the lecturers later um, after I got in and I remember having a chat to her. She sort of became a bit of a mentor and over, over when I was in through my university years. And, and she said, you know, she said, we allow every year we allowed ourselves a couple of wild cards. <laughs> and you were the wild into card. Into the course. And she said, <laughs> you were one of them. Um, and she said, because your portfolio was fine art. So we had no sense of whether you'd, what your design sensibility was like. She said, but there was, there was one, there were a couple of life drawings in there and the quality of your line, the line that you used had, there was something about it that was really, that was nice. And she said, and we, and she said, we loved the colors of the clothes you were wearing. I was going to say, I was just about to say, isn't it funny, the obscure things that actually are life-changing for Mm -hmm. you? Because if you hadn't got into that course and you hadn't worn those clothes that day, you might not have got in. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. If I hadn't hadn't worn my red, blue and yellow parachute pants (laughs) with a bright green T-shirt, because back then I did you back then I did actually wear colour um, <laughs> with a yellow sweatshirt tied around my waist. I might not have gotten it. Right? Who, and, and then what a different story we'd and be then telling. What a difference. And then and then the second um, and then even within that trajectory, once I got in, you know, I got in as a diploma student. And at the end of the first year, they decided they split us. Right. So there were some kids that were invited to go into what was called the degree stream, which was a four year stream of college. And some that got stuck in the diploma stream, yep. which was th- not stuck, but got the three years. And because I was still in yep. catch-up mode, because I was a year, I was a year, two years behind, effectively half the people in the class, they left me in the diploma stream. But yep. by the end of second year, I'd sort of improved so much they actually grandfathered me into the d- degree stream. 
Oh, congratulations. Which was fabulous. Like I was so, I was like so chuffed. Um, the so, reason that that's important yeah. <laughs> comes up, the reason that that's so, so critical plays out um, a good, let's see, uh, 10 years later. Wow. Okay, right. so what happened? So you got you finished, you did your degree. So I finished. I got I did my degree. I finished before I'd even graduated. I had a call I I actually um, ended up doing a lot of work or sort of my my fourth year which was largely practical, so you did sort of almost like a virtual internship in your fourth year. Yeah. I did that very I did that in um, an area called environmental graphic design which is really around museums and exhibitions and things like that and signage and things as well and isn't signs it? and yep. stuff yeah more yep. museums and exhibitions okay. than signs although it's now become that and these days everyone calls it wayfinding which is a different oh okay it's the same stuff um, but <laughs> but I I sort of I sort of ended up doing a lot of that sort of work and so it happened to coincide with the upcoming bicentennial um, and for all Australia, of the action, you mean? For Australia, yeah, right. the Australian yep, Bicentennial. Yep, yep. And, and all of the action for that was happening up in Sydney. Right. Uh, and so I sort of got it in my head. I was like, oh, my, it'd be kind of fun. Maybe I'll move up to Sydney. So I went up there, did some interviews. Um, there was an absolute like – it was, it, was it was a supply and demand thing, right? There was not, not enough people who had skills in that area and too, many, too much needed to be done. So right. it, was all, it was like a, getting a job. It was like shooting fish in a barrel to get a job. And, <laughs> right. and so I had, an, I had an offer for a job before I'd even graduated, which kind of pissed my um, lecturers off a little bit, I think. And so I didn't <laughs> even go to my graduation. I was already living in Sydney right. <laughs> by the time that all happened. Um, and so I did that. I got that job and that was, fa- that was another – that was extraordinary, right? So you're, we were working on massive projects, like straight out of college. We were working on the Powerhouse Museum and we yeah. were working on like stuff like that. It was crazy. And it was brilliant fun and, and the nice – and but it was also really important because it was a multidisciplinary firm that I joined. So it had all these things under one roof. So it had graphic design, interior design, architecture, exhibitions, mat, like they literally built wow. the stuff yep. in like they had a big workshop, like they actually did the building by built as well. And it was all like mished up to working together. And so that was really, along with the fact that working in museums and, and doing designing for exhibitions and things, you have to consider the multi, like a, a, a multidisciplinary mindset because what you do is not singular. Right. It's part of a broader thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's, and you've got to work within the constraints and understand how that all plays together to tell an overall story. And so the early pieces of this idea that everything that you do comes together in, in a moment of experience. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. So we're starting Pain, to get to the sort of way back then. Right? So that, thing. Yeah. yeah. That starts way back then. Okay. Um, and then what did you so do I next? Went, oh. So what I did next was once I, I, I worked at, at um, a company was called Desmond Freeman Associates. Yeah. I think it's still around though. Desmond's not part of it anymore. Okay. Um, it's actually it's actually important for a second reason is because when I was working there is when I met my husband. Ah. Because yes. he was a designer as well. Yes. Right, right. So he'd he'd been a designer at he'd been a designer at the Adelaide uh, South Australian Maritime Museum. Ah, and he okay. was I was hired first, but then he came. He was brought into the team as well. So, um, so very yeah, cool. we met there and started dating, even though no one knew we were. But um, there's some very <laughs> funny side stories about all that I won't go into. But anyway, so after I left DFA, um, I went. After I left DFA, I went and did a couple of other things, yeah. a couple of other firms, and decided pretty quickly that it, working for other people just wasn't something that I really loved all that much. Okay. And so when I was 25, I started my own gig. Oh, I can high five was- you. I think I beat you at 24. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a graphic well, design company, yeah. weirdly. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, well, mine, I, I, did, I sort of just went out freelance. Well, freelance, started what did my you own call it? We called it. We called it lizard-esque. I was going to say, I just used to love the way designers spend <laughs> all this time thinking about what their company is oh, going to be called. Well, Ours was called Terminal Design because computers were just coming in and everyone, oh, I remember I used to go out to clients and they'd go, <laughs> is someone dying? Is there some reason why you've called it Terminal? <laughs> well, ours was lizard-esque because nothing to do with me. So right. I, I did the freelance thing and didn't really have a company for a while. Yeah. And then one night um, – my husband comes home 
for because he was working for another company and he said, actually, I quit today and I'm going to come and work with you. <laughs> I love it. And you I went, was like, oh, okay. right. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, and so at that point we decided we needed a company name. So right. we called it Lizardesque and Lizardesque because um, – so he really loved lizards, just the sinuousness and the shape yeah. of them and everything. They were graphically and visually really cool. Yeah. And we didn't – I was like, well, we're not calling it lizard design, just not <laughs> – not doing that. So we were sitting around one night playing Scrabble with some friends, um, very drunk on red wine, and Lizard Esque was born. Um, ah, beautiful. So that's where the Esque came into the picture. And that was <laughs> the name. We had that company right up until we uh, were asked to move over to the United States and so join how did that a friend. So here is where the um, – this is where the kismet of being a degree student comes back into play. Okay, go on. But uh, so my cousin in New York, um, he sadly died a few years ago, but he's a photographer's agent um, very for a lot of very famous photographers. Right. And, uh, and someone he knew had a design studio and she wanted to – she was Australian and she was looking for someone in – Australia, an Australian to work with them because she had oh been struggling God. to find you, anyone in the States. So you're telling me that you had an opportunity to go and work for an Australian in New York, New York? No, it wasn't in New York. She oh. was in Colorado. Okay. It wasn't in New York, sadly. But um, but, but Vernon was in New York. But, but yeah, Colorado sounds so pretty good by, it was in Colorado. by all so, accounts. So, so, so we, did you just well, say, yep, okay, we're going to oh, do it? Or let's was there check a it out. We'll see. So <laughs> a lot of nervousness around it. There we go. We're back. So, yep. um, yeah, so we, we said, so Simon and I were like, yeah, let's go check it out. Why not? Um, what have we got to lose? So we went over essentially for two weeks was right. the idea yeah, to just see what things were like. Uh, and, and so while we were over there, we're like, well, why, why, why wouldn't we do this? This is kind of crazy. Like we've got literally we're being given because she was like, well, you can both come. Like we can, yeah. I can definitely, we can kind of use you both. And um, so, yeah, two years we um, went, uh, so not two years, sorry, two weeks we were there and decided, right. sure, let's do it. Yeah. And I basically didn't come back, um, <laughs> not immediately anyway, eventually, but not immediately because of the visa. It was easier to actually at that time anyway yeah. to turn my visitor's visa into a work visa right. than it was for me to get a work visa from scratch. Simon, on the other hand, because he was a British passport holder yes. and a British citizen, which he was, is still yes, dual yes. now, but then he was just British, had come on a visa waiver thing. So he didn't actually have a visa to flip. So he had to go back, come back to Australia. <gasps> oh. And he had to come back anyway to pack up everything and sort like get everything sorted out. And, and, and so we were, it was about three months that took right. um, for all that to happen and get our visas changed. But the only reason why I they could do that was because I had a degree. So one of the criteria really? for getting an H, what was then an H one B visa, which is the work visa over there, like the green was, card, is that the? Well, yeah. no, green card's something different. Okay. But an H one B visa is like a, effectively just a work visa. Okay. Um, and to get a work visa, you had to have a degree. Wow, to get an H-1B, goodness. you had to have a degree. So had I not been grandfathered in, it would have been much and harder Simon for me to work in the United as, States. Did Simon have yeah, a degree Yeah, he had a well? degree. Yeah, great. Yeah, he had a degree as well. So, okay, so you're in Colorado. So, yeah. so we're in Colorado. We're working for, the, we're working for um, this company and effectively we went thinking we'd be there for about three, three years, yeah. you know, okay. come back, have yeah. the, do the US experience, come back. So 15 years later, we came back. <laughs> and and over there, did you did you always work for that company? Did you? What all, yeah, we all, bought it. Oh, fantastic. Oh, my God. They love the company so much they bought it. Love we it. We did. Um, well, and it was, it was, well, part of, there was a lot of, there was a lot of love. Like we we did a lot of work to build that thing up and, and eventually the person who we'd gone over um, to work with, she left the company, exited the company. Right. And, um, and we it bought over. it. And we took it over and then um, and sort of grew it and got to a sort of point where, like I said, where the, where the right turn of this, this is different, like I want to ask different questions came about and at that point it's like, well, I can't do this and ask those questions. 
Right. Like I can't have a company that does this and ask those questions. Because it's only it, one it, element it, of a bigger It's only bigger one element and it pollutes the question. Yeah, right. right. And this is what happens, right? So even agencies that with all good intentions say, you know, oh, yeah, we're interested in those questions. The interest in those questions is how does it drive projects that will pay me? Yes, of course. Which, which only makes sense, which is, I mean, of yeah. course. And consultants, there's consultants are the same and it's no different. Like that's the idea. But I wanted to be able to say no. Yeah, okay. And you can't say no if you've got people who you've got to pay, the sal- whose salaries you've got to pay, who's, you know, you've got all of those things happening. And then it wasn't that long actually after we took the, if after that happened that, so my dad, while we were over there, my dad died Um my and then Simon's mum died. Oh. My husband's mum died a few years later, and at oh. that point we're like, and that there is nothing. Yeah, there's nothing that makes yeah, you think really that you're far hard. from home when that kind oh, of when God. sickness yeah, happens. Yeah, and it was it was it was dreadful. It was really hard, and and not not nothing that lots of people haven't dealt with. But it was really just a politically the US had sort of. Been t- really we won't even changed. talk about politics. Imagine if you were there now, my God. Oh, I couldn't. No, I, I, no, I, mean, I don't know George how anyone Bush, George there. Bush did me and I'm not sure yeah, how I would have coped. So, Same. In um, fact, Ronald Reagan, I think, did me and that was oh, when I started and switching so, off. Yeah, and so we, we decided to move back um, to Australia, which was sort of we had been a while. And So how long and, ago was that? What year was that roughly? Um, I, 2008. Okay. So it was basically, well, Simon had come back a little bit before that because to get set up back over here and things and get started. So I commuted between Australia and the US for a couple of years, which was really. Two years? Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a real stress on a relationship. uh, Yeah, a little bit. It was, oh, we, we managed, we survived. We're still alive. Well, absence makes the heart grow It wasn't easy and it was, I would never recommend anybody to it. It was brutal, (laughs) but it had its it had its upsides and its downsides, but yeah. uh, I effectively I had some big projects I was still working on some some stuff I still had some stuff to do yep. that I wanted to get done and I didn't want to just abandon it because I yep. knew coming back here was a start from scratch thing. Yep. It wasn't like I didn't have because we even we moved on. back to Melbourne, not Sydney. So even all of my any past work connections and right. stuff that I had, they were all none of them were here. So it was it really was like literally greenfield start from scratch. Uh, so I came back on 2008. Literally, I got on the plane to come back, and when I got off the plane, Lehman Brothers had collapsed. <gasps> oh, ooh, I just got goosebumps as you said that. Uh, I remember that day so well. I remember going into my new office on Greville Street in Melbourne and going, mm-hmm. what does it mean Lehman Brothers is, bro- you know, <laughs> closing down? What's You know, and then people were talking about a crash, and it was like, why? Yeah. It's only one company and the whole bloody country. <laughs> the cards came down. Yeah. I know. It, yeah. was, it was just like Huge. it couldn't, the worst. And thankfully, I mean, thankfully I came back to Australia because we survived that in far better shape yeah. and economically and from a, um, that wasn't, wasn't super easy, but, a, and, and, and I was also fortunate that fairly quickly I was able to make some connections and, and sort of get some yeah, work going. I was going to say, I wasn't, how do you go out and grow mm. a business from scratch when you, you're, you haven't got the networks? I, I've had this conversation mm-hmm. with a few people who moved here yep. and it's yep. like when you've got no networks, Mm-hmm. You, no, you yeah. don't realize how important they are till you haven't got them, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You don't realize. Well, and and it wasn't. I had no. So I had a couple of ephemera, like kind of s- strange little loose ones, fluffy loose connections, right? So yeah. one of the connections that I had, and and he's still a dear friend, and um, and just an all around brilliant, brilliant person. Um, I had met virtually through um, a network of a magazine called Fast Company. So Fast Company magazine, back when it was in its heyday, had this thing called the Company of Friends. And the Company of Friends were sort of local community-run kind of interest groups around that sort of of people who read read Fast Company and, and people who knew them. And so you had lo- people who led the local chapters of that that were just – and so I le- I had at one point run the Colorado chapter or the Denver chapter of that Company of Friends. Okay. And um, and sort of so I had uh, – I knew of and had had a couple of conversations just, you know, very br- – as part of a bigger group with a guy here in Melbourne called Peter Tunjik right. who at that time ran the Melbourne chapter. Right. Um, and, and another really dear friend of mine – uh, who is still incredible, dear friend in 
over in the US, ran the Washington DC chapter of the Company of Friends. Right. Um, and so, and it was one of those things where if you were, if you were going to a town or a city, um, you literally could just get in touch with whoever ran that chapter and say, hey, it's me. I'm coming to town. Can we catch up? And they had them in and, Australia. So when you came yeah, here, there were and a so when they came here, um, I knew Peter had Peter wasn't still doing it at that point, and neither was I. But the connection was there. Yeah. So yeah. I sort of got in touch, and I said, "Hey, I'm in town. Can we like, have <laughs> coffee or something? <laughs> what am I going to do? Just have a coffee. Let yeah. me start. Like, I've got to start somewhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, and sort of, and from there, it sort of tumbled, went along to a few networking type events, business yeah. Yeah. sort of type event things. In fact, my first. Australian client came from one of those events. Where, yeah, they can be very, very powerful, those events. Yeah. Well, it was weird. I was um, in that particular instance, uh, I was, I can't even really, I don't even remember the topic of the event or who ran it. I do remember one of the speakers was the then founder and CEO of realestate.com.au. Which, who was, and, who was that, John McGrath? No, no. it was... Name Someone else, me. doesn't matter anyway. Someone else, him. Yes, I could there look you it go. up, but him. Anyway, yes. and it was interesting. He was, it was kind of interesting. And I remember, and I asked him a question. Um, I was some, someone who put my hand up and asked a question, and he answered it. And this guy came up to me afterwards. He said, That was a really interesting question. You do ask interesting questions, um, Michelle, always. And so we, <laughs> and so we started talking and, and that was sort of, that sort of started a, a kind of a conversation that became my first client. Right. And in Australia and sort of from there things sort of just – and it wasn't – it isn't a, a clean tree in terms of – I can trace every single one of my clients back to that first. No. But, but it <laughs> no. was – there's not – I could probably – tr- word spreads and it is often probably a few referrals. And, and, well, sometimes it is referrals and for me that's certainly my number one. Yeah. Definitely my number one. But but I even don't look at it that way. My, my approach is always that – I'm I'm incredibly bad at marketing myself. I really am. No, you are. I'm <laughs> because awful. you're you really can, amazing yeah. and you're really you unique. You can tell me. You can tell. Like, you're amazing. Yeah. And and part of that is because my my focus is on the job in front of me. Having said that, and, let me just say you and we should tell everyone that you have been blogging for Smart Company forever. Yeah. How many years have you been doing that for? <laughs> Um, well, I don't regularly blog for them anymore because I don't do that. I right. still write articles for them periodically. But when I was blogging for them regularly, I blogged for them for 11 years. 11 years. So that is a great Weekly. way of building your profile. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And it did help. Granted, like I, I, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say I'm terrible at marketing myself. I'm very, I'm quite deliberate and specific about what I will and won't do. But, and, and, but also I think that you, like a lot of people, are very good at sharing your expertise. It's just yourself mm. that you don't like pushing out there. Yeah, that's you know, probably true. That, you yeah, know, I that's think we're very all, true. We're all comfortable saying this is how I can help you and these are the mm-hmm. things you might be doing wrong or the things you could do mm. right or whatever. But when you start going, hey, it's me, aren't I awesome? You go, oh, my God, I just want to go away. You won't find me doing doing any of that. But, um, but what I do like do, like, I love, I love talking about and sharing the work and, and, and it is work, like, it's really deep work that I've been doing now for 20 odd years around what this is and how it works in an organization and how you can tap into it and use it to your advantage. And it has the, as I said, it has the side effect of being inconvenient at times. It requires work it is not a quick fix for anything yeah um but it's very uh, it's not, insightful I've seen you in action uh, but, and I yeah. know that it sort of plums depths that people mm. kind of go oh I hadn't even yeah. thought about that <laughs> yeah and it gets it gets to the stuff that will set you in good stead for a long time yeah right yeah. so if all you're looking to do is gin up some you know is turn and burn gin up some interest so that you can exit fast at a multiple. Then you're not yeah, the person you probably, to call. I'm not the person you need to be talking to because no. I'll drive you nuts, right? <laughs> and you'll drive me nuts and it's not a good place. Yeah. But if you are actually interested in building something enduring um, and, and what's really required and the foundations that are required to do that successfully, um, then, then yeah, perhaps let's have a conversation because or have a uh, sort of talk about what that looks like for yeah. you and where, and where you think that's 
that's not helping. And I think you know? one of the things with you that's probably more challenging than a lot of people is people don't know what they don't know. And so they no, don't exactly. know that they need you because they don't understand that they don't mm. understand their brand. <laughs> you know, well, like yeah, it's kind of yeah. a weird thing like that. Yeah. That they don't, well, they, because they do stand to still think about it in these cosmetic terms. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even, even, even the ones who put it out there is like, no, it's about more than that, right? When it really comes right down to it, push and shove and all the rest of it, it lands in cosmetic land of, you know, of what do we look like? What, you know, and, and that's part of it. And of I, try, I always go to great pains not to say that that's not, that it's not irrelevant. It's just not as relevant as people think it is <laughs> because you can have the coolest, sexiest, whatever. And if your product sucks, or if it doesn't do what it says it's going to do, or if, you know, you they tell me something. customer service. And you, yeah, <laughs> if you tell me you're going to do something and you break that promise, I don't care what the rest of the stuff is. It doesn't matter. Yeah, there's plenty of other companies I can go to. Yeah, there's others I can go to. And as an employee, and this isn't just about external, this is internal as well, right? So if what you tell people when they come to work for you is a pile of rubbish, then that's you know you're just setting yourself up yeah. because not only won't they be ha- won't they be happy and I'm not someone who's like everyone should come to work every day bouncing on like handsprings <laughs> like I do because that's just because <laughs> that's just unrealistic we all have our days yes, right um, you and I are both fortunate we do stuff we love yeah and even in that I say like I, I loved Liz Gilbert's thing she did a podcast I think it was with Brené Brown actually oh, yeah. and she was talking about the whole this whole fallacy of the creative what the creative life looks like. And she said, you know, 90% boring. Yep. And it is. And for, even for me, it's like, I get to do some really cool stuff and I get to do a lot of really boring stuff. Well, it's, it's, well it's like, it's you know, the build, job. building a house, isn't it? You know, you, you've got to do all that foundation it's, stuff that's yeah. boring as batshit, isn't yeah. sexy, doesn't look like you've done anything much. Well, and then well, all I'm, of a sudden you start yeah. to build on it and yeah. you just go, thank God. Yeah. Well, and once you get the house, you've still got to clean it. <laughs> you still got to maintain it. Yeah, yeah. Like you still like this idea that, and this is what I say about organisations with with the with their brand results. If you're not considering it on a daily basis, you know, it's it's sort of like it's it's every now and again, not even every now and again, but you know, on a pretty regular basis, you better dust the bookshelves. Yeah, you better yep. vacuum the carpets. Otherwise, things nice are going to get a mess really fast. So. Are you talking about what you care about? Like going back to this sense of identity, like yeah. what are the what are the pillars of your identity? Like, well, in in jargonistic terms, they're your values and your purpose. Yeah. Whatever those are, and I make no judgment about what they are. I'm not one of those people that says you have to have a certain type of either. You don't. It's just it's really important you have them. It's a lot less important what they are. Um, and that you it's really, really important that you use them, which is where so many people lose the plot. Right. Uh, they spend all this time coming up with this stuff and then it goes into a booklet. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or crickets. it goes, gets Nothing. framed and put in the waiting room yeah. and that's the end of it. Oh, yeah. And yeah. people people have no clue how to connect it to what they do or why it matters or any of that stuff. And then they wonder why people are like, oh, people, people around here, they just don't seem to care about what we do. I said, do they know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah very true. Okay, but, now um, – I want to ask you just a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey because um, one of the things, and we haven't got very long left, but one of the things that I love is how much we can learn when everything stuffs up, basically. (laughs) And I'm just wondering um, for any of the women that are listening, thinking that, you know, everybody has a perfect career path that's just a straight line, if you've got got, uh, any – pivotal moments that you can talk about mm. where something kind of stuffed up and it sent you in a new direction. I know you've mentioned mm. a couple earlier, but is there a, is there yeah. a cracker of a story oh, you can one. tell me? Great. No, a cracker one, really big one. Awesome. Right. So we, so US, um, uh, we're talking dot com, yep. 2000, 1999, turning into 2000, 2001, that sort of period. Yep. Um, 2000 in particular. And, and everybody heard about the dot com bubble. Yep. So we, as a as an agency, we had our fair share of startups yeah. as clients, um, and so of course, when that all went poof, so did a lot of our a lot of our clients. client base and a lot of our yeah. work disappeared. Mm-hmm. But we were at that point, we were lucky. 
and I looked at it as we were lucky because we had enough diversity in, in our client base and a big chunk of our client base was in transportation and logistics. Right. Which was an interesting kind of mashup, but it just happened to be something we ended up doing a lot of. Yeah. And there's a whole Kismet story about how that happened, but we were there. And that saved us out of dot-com. Right. Because those guys, that, those for the most part, those guys just kept going. Parcels still had to go. People still bought, like delivery still happened. All that still kept going. Yeah. Then 9-11 happened. Oh, my God, and you're in America. And, so, and we're in America. And so everything that the dot-com bubble didn't take out, 9-11. <laughs> Sounds like the pandemic. A <laughs> little bit like that. Yeah. And so we were stuck. We were like, holy shit. So very really quickly we got to a point where like, we're going to go out of business if we don't do something really drastic. And it's going to have to be something really drastic that we don't want to do, which is we're going to have to get smaller. Right. At that point, we're like 15 people, Mm -hmm. something like that. Um, And so we had to, we sort of ran the numbers and it was sort of brutal facts of reality time. You know, I talk about the Stockdale paradox, which is something we were really familiar with because it wasn't that long ago before that, that we'd done the Jim Collins work. Right. So Stockdale paradox is his thing of, you know, you've got to face the brutal facts of your most current reality, no matter what they may be, while at the same time having faith that you will in the end prevail. Yep, I love it. It's it's the paradox and the du- it's the duality of that that makes it powerful because you've got to do both. Yeah, it's not one or the other. You've got to do both. So we had to find a way to do both. So what did you do? Um, and so the both thing we did was we basically cut our size in half. Right. So in one bloody Friday, we literally fired six people. Ouch. Um, and and how did like we were a tight knit culture. We had a really tight culture. It wasn't like it wasn't family. family. We, we didn't. I never called it family. I don't. I don't sort of talk about cultures in that way. Especially were cultures in that way. But we were tight, and yeah. we liked each other, and we didn't always get on, but we liked each other, and we worked really well together. And it was a kick-ass team. And so the decisions around who was going to go, brutal. hideous, yeah, were, I bet. just brutal. It was just brutal, and there was no, there was no right, there was no wrong. We just had to take a really clear-eyed look at what was going to set us up, give us the best chance of survival. And so we did that. Yeah. Um, and then so on the Friday we basically cleaned house um, and uh, pretty much had everybody just pretty leave shit straight day, away. I imagine, yeah. Oh, it was yeah, – I was really drunk awful. Friday night. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> it was just awful. <laughs> um, although every – to be fair um, – the people made it easier because they everybody knew people knew what was going on and they understood. And they would have just been upset them, it was them and not the other person, you know, that they didn't get to stay, bit. but they would at have the understood time, the logic of it. Yeah, yeah. At the time, but a few of them did come back to me, not even all that much longer and later and say, you know, that was it it it, it pushed me to do this thing that I've always wanted to do. Oh good. Which so, it often so does, was, which is what we're talking about. Which it about. often does, yes. right? Which which was great to hear. But but I I am under no illusions that we didn't that it wasn't painful um, for them at the time and in the short term it yeah. absolutely was. Yeah. And um and then on the Monday uh, we gathered everybody that was left and we all went off site for uh, basically a really good sit down just to say okay let's talk about how this feels and what what this looks like for what's coming next. And what we're going to need to do to get through this, because this is just part of it. Like this isn't going to, this doesn't, as this doesn't assure us of our yeah, of, success of, of how we're going to survive. Um, and then, and then we got to work, and it was just really doubling down on our relationships with our clients. We had amazing client relationships. We used to have um, a page on our website where we listed the names of our clients and their direct phone numbers. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that anybody who wanted a reference for working with us could call them without having to go through us. Yeah. Fantastic. And people, and I used to get people who say like, wow, I can't believe you do that. Like, aren't you worried that someone else is going to poach them? And I'd be like, they're welcome to try. Yeah. And if they can, then we're not doing a good job. Well, there you go. That's definitely security right. in, in um, knowing your clients. And, and so we, we sort of, we really worked hard on those relationships and, and we kind of got through it, but it was, yeah, it was, I mean, Very it was tough. never the same. And yep. it was, it was, it was from that, like that definitely was, it was a different company uh, after that. 
Um, was it long and, after that that you ended up going back to Australia, coming back to Australia? Um, well, in where in are we? Two thousand and eight. We're oh, like yeah, no, no. we're two thousand and one. So yeah, um, so you stayed. But, but it a wasn't while long after, after that. It wasn't long after that. Um, it was only a few years after that that we that I actually closed the agency and just went out on my own. On your own, right? Mm. Which Amazing. was the next big turn. So well, yeah, what, that what, was the decision. What an incredible career! I'm going to ask you one last question. We've only got five minutes left, but oh, yes. I have to ask this question. A journalist suggested that I ask it, Wendy okay. Hargreaves, and I love it. Which is: Is there one quirky fact that most people don't know about you that you'd be prepared to share? Hmm. I can think of one, actually, and it's about me. Okay. And that was that you – I always talk about how you – and I'll describe it, and I hope people won't get offended, but I always go, your body is your temple. You're one of those women. (laughs) And that I met you for a breakfast once, and I remember being so bloated, I said, I can't even order anything. I just feel terrible. And you went – okay, well, you should go on this diet. And I went, I'm oh, not a person for diets. And you were starting to say, no, it was brilliant. And I said, you were saying all the things you couldn't eat. And I said, I can't even be bothered with that. Just tell me what I can eat. And you just gave me about six things I could eat. And I lost about nine kilos over the next two months, <laughs> which I could probably do with again. But anyway, that's one quirky fact is that how much you are in touch with your body and, and you know, how that all works. But is there yeah. some dark secret, like, you know, you know how to tap dance or something? <laughs> Deep dark secret. Um, so yeah, I, I, I mean, I was th- I was thinking about this. So um, I don't necessarily think about myself as all that quirky. Um, I do. That's all right. I'll some- do it for you. <laughs> no, but one, but one thing. Uh, I mean, something that most people wouldn't know about me. Yeah, um, is that uh, I I was a competitive swimmer when I was <gasps> oh my te- when I was a teenager. So, um, yes, I was and, uh, and used to sort of compete, um, at a not super elite, but state, local, um, state, district, no, sort of regional state sort of level. Fantastic. And, um, never, I'm not coming from a small town, like to actually go further or to do like. To take it further, I would have had to kind of go live somewhere else. Yeah, leave um, home. Yeah, because we only had a pool six months of the year. So. Do you know, my? Uh, I'll just fin- uh, we'll finish this off. But taking that note, my cousin in Ireland, it was an absolute champion. I mean, you know, she was up for the mm. Olympics. And mm. as a result, she was a butterfly. She came over to Australia for a year when she turned – I think she did. It must have been when she left school, maybe at 18, and it was mm-hmm. to train for the Olympics. And she told us that there was no 50-metre pool in Ireland. Mm. <laughs> I remember that. I remember taking oh, her around to the Paran pool yeah. and then up the road and going, 50-metre yeah. pools, we've got them coming out of our ears. <laughs> and thinking, how could you even train for the Olympics if you've never swum mm. 50 metres yeah. without pushing off it from well, an end? Uh, well, yeah, we had a 50-metre pool, but like I said, it was an outdoor. It was only open six months of the yeah. year. But, but the thing that the connection of that is that um, and the piece of that is that water is my natural environment. <laughs> and so that's the quirky part is oh, that I'm, I'm always happiest in the water. So and so I. whenever, and uh, I was actually down visiting um, my mum recently and seeing the world opened up regionally enough that I was allowed, that I could go down and, oh. um, and spend a couple of days there. And while I was there, I went to my favourite beach and actually went for a swim, which is really cold at this time of year. I was going to say, but, just being clear, we are in Melbourne and you were talking about the ocean, so it must have been about I was about talking about, I'm talking about the ocean, but it was amazing. Water, probably. So, so, yeah, I'll always, yeah, I'll take, I'll ta- I'll be in the water any day, any time I can, and um, that's sort of, it's like my natural habitat, so. Well, I'm with you. I absolutely love it, and I hate sailing or being on boats. I get really boat sick, oh, and I always really? say, can't you just oh. chuck me off? I'm mu- I'd be much happier if I could just hold on to the anchor and drag on behind or, you know. <laughs> Be I'll be the on the water. water. <laughs> I'll be, be on, on the it. water as a second. I'll be on the water as a second choice if I can't be in it. But but Oof. the other piece about piece about training swimming that it gave me is like is is just a really nice sense of discipline of like that 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 repetition again. This all feeds in like yeah. doing the thing over and over again. Like may, figuring out the thing that's repeatable that gets you further in what you're trying to do. And, and that still all feeds into that sort of, there's all these little planks of thinking. Amazing. Can I just say, Michelle, that I have always thought you were a star and I still do. Oh, Thank sweet. you so much for doing this interview. That's been totally fascinating. Now, if anyone wants to get hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? 
Best way to get hold of me is um, my website is pretty easy. I'm just Michelle Hogan on Twitter, on LinkedIn. Great. Okay. And it's Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L for anybody who um, isn't sure. Well, thank you very much. That was fabulous. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.